0: It's V-Week on ESPN as we continue Jim Balvano's fight against cancer.
1: Strike them and
2: you strike them. Job's not finished.
3: Go
1: blue.
3: The penultimate college football playoff rankings, brought to you by AT and T Five G, are out, and there is certainly. Plenty to talk about. Get a look at the top ten, led by the unbeaten, Georgia, Michigan, and TCU. Ohio State and Alabama lurking just outside the top four. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Championship Week. College Football Live here with you on this Wednesday. Tom Lucanville, Roddy Jones, I'm Wendy Nix. You also have to consider this when you look at these rankings. As we mentioned before, Ohio State and Alabama weighing in at five and six. It's important because there have been teams outside the top four to still get in the playoff. Ohio State and Alabama are not only on this list, but they went on to win the national championship. Here is the committee now with an explanation.
4: Now, there's four teams in front of them that are still playing games that we need to go through is to go through this weekend. And, and again, coming out of this week, as we looked at Ohio State and, and the wins that they have over Notre Dame and Penn State, you look at Alabama and their big wins are over Texas. And Mississippi State, they got a couple games where they also played close, two close losses. But again, in the minds of the of the committee, we came back to Ohio State at five and Alabama at six.
3: Luke's Alabama outranking Tennessee, even though we know the volunteers were successful beating Alabama earlier in the season. Agree or disagree?
5: Because Alabama owns the head-to-head there, uh, look, I also uh, disagree.
3: I... Luke's go ahead. Uh, Wendy,
2: to be honest, I I, I don't mind what <laughs> what's going on with Alabama and Tennessee. <laughs> and, and the main reason for that is because uh, Hooker's injury overall has really thrown a wrench in all of this. I know Alabama uh, lost to Tennessee in that in that epic game by a field goal at the end. But because of Hooker's injury the evaluation of Tennessee has to change. And if you go back to that game it was a three point game Hooker was a Heisman Trophy candidate. But it's likely to be a Heisman Trophy finalist if everything goes the way we think it will. And he has to be worth those three points. So overall, Wendy, I don't really have an issue with Alabama being over Tennessee in this rankings because of the Hindenhooker Hooker injury.
5: Yeah, but I think Roddy, the, ind- the the message that the committee is sending is that really at the end of the day, if you want to use eye test as your number one uh, piece of criteria, if you want to take a team like Alabama that you feel like okay that team would be better in a college football playoff scenario. They've been there before. They've done that. Um, you're essentially taking strength of schedule, head-to-head, all of the different variables that they tell the committee to use if they got to come, come down to some type of tie-breaking scenario and just throw it all out the window. None of it really matters. And so, <laughs> to me, if the, the head-to-head should trump all of this. And I, I get the Hendon Hooker thing. And I think that's a big reason why they did it. I also think, quite honestly, the committee feels like if Alabama went into the playoff or Tennessee went into the playoff. They feel like Alabama would be more likely to win the game. And they have more. They have every right to say that because here's the thing we got to remind everybody. There's only one mandate with the college football playoff, and that is to choose the best four teams. That's the only thing they're mandated to do. There's nothing else that tells each member in that committee that, hey, you have to adhere to this. You have to adhere to that if you're going to make some type of tie-breaking scenario. If they want to go based off of what they think or what their eyes tell them, they're more than welcome to do that.
3: It really is an important distinction, Lukes. And Roddy, listen, as you heard the committee say, there's football to be played. They're, they're obviously going to be watching this weekend closely. So two teams, really, that you got to talk about in this scenario, and that's USC and TCU. Uh, Roddy, I'll start with you. Does USC still get in should they suffer a loss? <sighs>
2: I don't think they get in should they suffer a loss. But, but personally, I would put them in regardless because I, I don't want to live in a world where Ohio State is rewarded for not playing in a conference that has the two best teams in the championship game. USC and Ohio State ended the regular season with the exact same record. And the only reason USC is putting that record in jeopardy is because they were invited to the conference championship game. They made their conference championship game. Ohio State did not. They get to sit at home and watch chaos unfold elsewhere. And so if we reward that by USC losing and then Ohio State getting in. I, I don't think that's good for the sport. And I get it'd be two losses to the same team, but it's not like Ohio State went through a tougher conference. They played two teams that are very good, Michigan and Penn State. They beat Notre Dame at the beginning of the season, but the Pac-12 was the best conference in the country from top to bottom and USC made the championship game. So I think they should get in no matter what.
3: All right well it's interesting because I'm going to ask you the same question Luke's about TCU uh, listen undefeated so far but what if the Horned Frogs lose over the weekend.
5: Well I don't think they can get blown out to be quite honest with you I think if they lose and they lose in a, in a tight game they're still going to be in and I believe that they should be in listen TCU has done everything you can ask a football team to do and when, when you talk to coaches across the country and you talk about championship type of, of criteria. They'll, they'll tell you that you've got to be able to win on the road and you've got to be able to win one possession games. That's what TCU does. They find ways to win games. And there's not a scenario in any of the games that they've played that they haven't encountered, whether it's coming from behind, whether it's overtime, double overtime, having to run your field goal unit out there at the last second and kick a field goal. They've experienced it all. I believe and I hope to see that if TCU were to lose, they remain in the top four because I think they've earned it and the other teams would not have played that extra data point.
3: You know, I've been baffled all season by the knock on TCU. Hey, they played in a lot of close games. Yeah, I, I get that. They've also won a lot of close games. I don't I, I don't know what yeah. else they can do. Uh, you know, but certainly they need to, to win out. Uh, listen, a, a friendly reminder, do not forget to vote uh, for you, the team that you believe will be the one final team. You can do that at, at ESPN College Football. The Dr. Pepper one final team. And you can use the hashtag one final team. Sunday will be the day we'll have the exclusive. Reveal of the college football playoff matchups uh, in the Fiesta and Peach Bowls. That's New Year's Eve on ESPN. Reese and the guys will also unveil the New Year's six bowl games and we'll talk about the final top 25 rankings. It's a four hour special. It all starts at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific after Sunday NFL countdown on ESPN and the ESPN app. Ahead on College Football Live, what's old is new again. Some familiar coaching faces. Find themselves in new places. We'll tell you where we think there's a fit. You can count Auburn among those schools who no longer have a head coaching vacancy. They've tapped Hugh Freeze, who spent the last four seasons at Liberty, taking the flames to unprecedented heights. Freeze has contracted Auburn six years, an average of $6.5 million annually, according to our Pete Thamel.
0: I I don't believe in deserving something. I believe in earning something. And I do believe we fought to earn this. And 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 it's been it's been some it's been rocky at times, but um, you can become overcome with emotion um, because of truthfully I feel like and this is no offense to another school or anything, but I feel like um, I've, I've leapfrogged um, where where I was uh, at that time. Uh, by being in this family and this culture here. And I loved my time there, but I see this as a, uh, I see this as one of the top 10 football programs in the nation, and I believe that. And so I don't want to get emotional. We, we had that cry last night, so we've celebrated that. And, um, you know, I don't know if rewriting the story is exactly the right word, but it's going to make for a good, good ending.
3: We're joined now by college football insider Pete Thamel. And, Pete, we'd watch this head coaching job uh, eagerly to see who Auburn returned to. What makes Freeze the right fit?
6: Well, Hugh Freeze can win SEC football games, Wendy. It's very simple. Uh, Cut out all of the clutter, which Auburn clearly did. And Hugh Freeze is one of the few proven coaches who can beat Alabama. Hugh Freeze hit a low point uh, when he got fired from Ole Miss, his climb back. Auburn's at a low point now. It's a marriage of mutual desperation, and these two sides have come together to try to topple Alabama.
3: Uh, Pete, uh, listen, uh, uh, what would you call it? A marriage of mutual desperation. Nothing... Nothing like that to get started, but there's only one way to go, Pete. Thank you. Stick around. We're going to talk to you about some of these other coaching hires uh, as you take a look, a freeze frame, if you will, of the head coaching career of Hugh Freeze. And uh, to your point, he's been down and now back up again. Uh, Roddy, I'll start with you and, and quite simply your reaction to Auburn's decision.
2: Well, Wendy, it was not overly surprising because of the fact that that Hugh Freeze has beaten Alabama. And and it seems like that was the driving force behind this. And and the way that Auburn has gone about it, the way that Hugh Freeze has gone about it, they're basically counting on the fact of weathering the initial storm and then winning football games, which ultimately cures everything. It'll make everybody or, or a large contingent of people... Who have issues with it? Forget about the past transgressions, and ultimately, if he can beat Alabama, if he can get them in the college football playoff, he can get them in the national championship conversation. uh, Then a lot of people will be willing to forgive what what happened in the past, uh, including those vacated wins, including the allegations that have been that have been brought against him. But ultimately, was not all that surprising because Hugh Freeze has familiarity with the league, Luke's, and and ultimately has beaten Nick Saban.
5: On at the end of the day, right there was Plan A, Lane Kiffin. Plan B, all right, Hugh Freeze, and no plan C. So this had to happen for Auburn. <laughs> this had to work. And, you know, the, the the bottom line is, is we are in a climate of college football right now that is perfect for this marriage as it's happening right now. You're going to have an unbelievable collective and NIL funds at his disposal. You've got a brand-new football operations facility that's 25 years overdue for Auburn. And quite honestly, Roddy, I mean... Alabama has been living rent-free in Auburn's head for how many years now? And they're so desperate to have somebody (laughs) that's proven he can put a product on the field that can beat Nick Saban. And Nick Saban's not going to be there forever. Um, And I don't think you can necessarily wave a magic wand here, but because of the transfer portal, because of Auburn's resources, and I do think Hugh Freeze is a tireless recruiter. I do think he's a good evaluator of talent, and I do believe that he relates well with kids. You add all of those things together – and you probably have the right guy at the right time. And remember this, if you think morality is a part of this, just always remember that winning cures all woes. You win, yeah. and nobody will care about anything you've done in the past
3: especially against a certain team in Tuscaloosa. You know, if you're in Michigan, you've got to beat Ohio State. If you're at Auburn, yeah. ultimately you've got to beat Alabama. And then, and then you're right, absolutely all is forgiven. Certainly not the only head coaching hire. It was a busy week across the landscape of college football. We saw Matt Rule take over at Nebraska, an eight-year deal with the Cornhuskers. He was fired by the Panthers in October, but of course previously successful at Baylor and Temple. Here's why he chose to come back
1: could have taken a year off. Uh, Some people might think that, you know, my wife was tired of me after six weeks. And while that might be a little bit true, that's not why I'm here today. I'm here today because as I talked to Trev, the passion for football was reborn inside me. The passion for young people was reborn inside of me. When we came to Lincoln and we snuck into Lincoln and we drove around, we said, you know what, this is a place that's committed." to greatness. This is a place that's committed. Look at this facility that's committed to player development. These are people that love their university, that love their state and love their football team. So as people ask me why I am here, because this is the right fit. It's the right time. And if I have one message for you, we can absolutely do it. We can absolutely get the University of Nebraska and University of Nebraska football exactly where it's supposed to be. It will be hard. It may take time. But it will be done.
3: Look, Luke, he's right about a couple of things. They do have the facilities. There's no question. It's been a a formidable program throughout history. He's also right that it will be very difficult. And I I think my question to you is, why is that? Why is Nebraska such a tough place to win?
5: Because every member of his coaching staff, including himself, will log more frequent flyer miles during their tenure at the University of Nebraska than any other coaching staff in America. Because you don't have an in-state player base. You don't have a bordering state player base. And that that makes things very, very difficult in recruiting in today's climate because you have to go into everybody else's backyard. And we are in we are in a college football landscape right now where recruiting is turned into a... Freshman-sophomore scenario, not a junior-senior scenario, which means if you're going to get kids on campus, they have to do it unofficially, which means they got to pay for it on their own. That's not easy to do. That's easy to do at Georgia. That's easy to do at Clemson or Ohio State or Auburn or or Texas A&M. You could list a ton of programs. More difficult to do there at Nebraska. I believe that every word he just said in that press conference is 100% true. And if you took Lincoln, Nebraska, uprooted it, and sat it right down in, I don't know, Tupelo, Mississippi, you would have Alabama right now.
3: All right? That's what they're missing is well, the player.
5: That's the only thing they're missing.
3: Yeah, and you know what? That, that's something that they don't have, uh, you know, control over really, Roddy. So is no. Matt Rule the guy that I, – I don't want to say who can fix this because technically it can't be fixed. Can he, can he outsmart the problem?
2: I don't know, Wendy, to be completely honest with you. I don't know who's going to work at Nebraska. Scott Frost, I thought, was a slam dunk because of what he'd done at UCF and, and, and his relationship with Nebraska. And, 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 so, and he didn't obviously work out. So I honestly don't know because not only does Nebraska have the issue that, that Luke's just mentioned. They have a a talent proximity issue, but they also have a perception issue. Talking to these current recruits about Nebraska football and the tradition in the history would have been like my dad talking to me about a team that was great in 1965. Like, that would have resonated zero with me. I would not have cared at all about that. And then you're telling me I have to fly across the country to a state that looks nothing like the state that mine looks like to go and play football? I just don't know how you can convince recruits of that other than money. And maybe NIL is the thing that helps turn Nebraska around. But because of proximity to talent and a perception issue, I don't know if Matt Rule can turn it around.
3: It's certainly interesting because you're talking about, you know, talking to young people, talking to young people who will have all kinds of adjustments to make. And to your point, Roddy, going to a place that, you know, to them looks like Mars is a difficult, makes that transition even more difficult. By the way, Nebraska has gone six straight seasons without going to a bowl game. It's been quite some time since that's been the case. Matt Rule uh, will have his work cut out for him. All right, let's run through one more head coaching hire. Uh, This one in Wisconsin, they tapped Cincinnati's Luke Fitzgerald. He just completed a 9-3 season. That was six years with the Bearcats. Guys, 57-18 and 18 overall at Cincinnati.
1: I mean, I know there's always work to be done, and I think that's what excites you about a coach. I mean, you can be at any program, and you're not where you want to be. I mean, there's one program at the end of the year where they want to be, right? And then they got a lot of work to do to be able to repeat to what they're doing. So it's the uniqueness of, of what it is that we choose to do. For me, I'll be honest with you, I'll tell you this, and you'll probably hear it for every year at the beginning of the year, we got one objective and one goal, and it's to play for a championship. And I said that when I, obviously, when I started at Cincinnati, and that is open-ended, but it gives you a lot of flexibility, things you do. You have an opportunity in this league, if you're playing for a championship, amazing things can happen. And I think you just got to stay focused and know that uh, that's what it's come down
7: to.
3: You simply cannot argue with a success. It is there all day long, Roddy. But what makes this the right fit, you think, for Wisconsin? Or do you think it's the right fit for the Badgers?
2: I do think it's the right fit. You could see the intensity in his eyes, quite literally. He was staring holes through the reporter that he was answering the question to. But the reason it's the right fit is because of what his Cincinnati teams were. It absolutely fits what Wisconsin wants to be. They were physical football teams that started with running the football. Wisconsin has had a quarterback issue since basically Russell Wilson left, and he developed Desmond Ritter into an NFL draft pick. He developed – uh, the quarterback position the, over the course of his time there, and, and and I think that there is a there is a, a reputation that he brings that's going to resonate with recruits with the number of players Luke's that he put in the NFL last year alone, and the fact that one of the best corners in the NFL he coached at Cincinnati.
5: Yeah, and and Roddy, and I agree with you. You know, I think sometimes the term fit is often overused, but not in this particular situation. And I also believe in recruiting; they will cast a much wider net. They'll go into some places maybe that Mm -hmm. Wisconsin didn't feel the need to go into before because quite honestly when it comes to the explosiveness of players the playmaking ability of players particularly players at the skill positions that's where they need to upgrade the most and I'm going to be very interested to see what is the offensive approach do we see a shift here offensively from what we've seen off Wisconsin over the last 25 years to becoming maybe a little bit more creative, evolving a little bit, becoming a little bit more dynamic. That will be determined by personnel. But I just like the whole blue-collar, lunch-pail mentality. It just seems to be the right marriage.
3: Listen, guys, and consider this, only two coaches have more wins than Luke Fickle over the last three seasons. Uh, Guys you've heard of, I think, Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. So he he knows (laughs) how to win uh, and to to do more with less. There's no question about that. We want to bring back our college football insider, Pete Thamel. And, Pete, uh, everybody's waiting on this. I'll get your opinion about Luke Fickle to Wisconsin.
6: Well, I think the best thing, Wendy, to sum up uh, the Luke Fickle hire is that at a place, Wisconsin, where you can get free bacon at Wando's every Monday night, they value beef up front. They value running the ball. So I broke the story the other day of Brady Collins, Luke Fickle's trusted right-hand man and strength coach, going to Wisconsin. And the Badger fans cheered as loudly as if they got a five-star quarterback recruit. They understand the power between the lines. Brady Collins, largely responsible for developing nine NFL draft picks at Cincinnati last year, the third most of any program in college football.
3: Look, they say numbers never lie. Sometimes they do, but not in this case. It just is what it is, and you can understand why they'd be pleased in Madison. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about UAB, an interesting scenario there on the verge of making, I think, a pretty surprising hire, former NFL quarterback Trent Dilfer. Uh, And this does come despite a little bit of pushback from the UAB players. Uh, What's the situation there?
6: Well, they just introduced Trent Dilfer to the team. It just went formal uh, since the show started, Wendy. And we are in a cycle and in an era of unconventional hires. Look at our friend Jeff Saturday, coaching Sundays for the Colts right now. Uh, Look, Trent Dilfer, obviously Super Bowl winning quarterback, super successful, elite 11 coach. He knows and has relationships with all the top quarterbacks in the country. And he's been an elite high school coach the past few seasons in Nashville. So the the allure of Dilfer is a big brand name and someone who can bring in good offense, good quarterback play. And they feel like uh, Mark Ingram, the AD there, feels like Dilfer can put together the kind of staff and get UAB to be competitive as it jumps up into the American Athletic Conference.
3: Look, there's no question it's a relationship business. That that does factor into things. One more before we let you go. Georgia Tech removing the interim head coaching title from Brent Key. Why was that decision ultimately made?
6: Well, Brent Key did an unbelievable job, going four and four in their uh, in their past, in their last eight games after Jeff Collins got fired. Brent Key is a former captain at Georgia Tech. He started forty four games on the offensive line there. And after Georgia Tech ran a national search, they interviewed ten to twelve candidates. They came back to Key. Part of that became because Georgia Tech offered very little guaranteed money. They owe Jeff Collins. $11 million going forward after firing him. So Tech was hesitant to go with a big name, big money, high profile hire, and they liked what they saw from Key, so the marriage fit.
3: All right, it is the coaching carousel season. Pete, thank you. I know you'll be busy. Uh, please continue to keep us up to date. Uh, how about this? Will we or won't we expand the playoff, that is, for the 2024 season? It's a question the Rose Bowl may have the answer to. We'll explain why coming up. Heather Dennis joins us. And championship week is here. We'll talk about what's on the line and who we believe will be left standing when we come back. We continue to follow a developing story. Leaders of the college football playoff issued an ultimatum to the Rose Bowl this week, giving them a self-imposed deadline of Wednesday. That's today to decide whether the CFP can expand in time for the start of the 2024 regular season. ESPN college football reporter Heather Denich is all over this and joins us now. Heather, since we don't know just yet, you know what is at the heart of this issue?
8: Wendy, the the Rose Bowl is willing to be flexible for 24 and 25 and work with the college football playoff, but in order to do that, they are asking for some guarantees in the next contract. The date and time, January 1, 2 o'clock Pacific time. They want to keep that in their media rights and have that three-hour window every three years and the playoff is saying, look, we don't want to make any promises we don't know we can keep when we go to the negotiating table in 2026 for a new TV contract. If this is to change within the current 12-year deal with ESPN as the sole rights holder, it goes through 2025, Wendy, everyone has to agree to it. It has to be unanimous. ESPN can't change the Rose Bowl contract, the college football playoff can't change the Rose Bowl contract, so only the Rose Bowl can agree to do that, and they're saying, look, we'll do this for you now if you do this for us later, and the playoff is saying, "Uh uh-uh, we don't want to treat you any differently than our other five New Year's Six Bowls, so whether or not they can figure this out. And I can tell you, this is not contentious. This is not a threat. This is two different parties with two different desires to have happen and they just haven't been able to work it out. We'll find out hopefully later tonight if they could come to an agreement. Yeah
3: I think that's what makes it more difficult Heather that it isn't contentious because it's almost rocking a hard place right everybody's got to do what's best for their particular party Uh, just to to double back you do expect that deadline to hold do you you anticipate some sort of decision Uh, we're past we're almost to the end of the day by the end of the night.
8: I'm hoping so. Let's say that. This deadline of today is a self-imposed deadline, and the reason it's there is because the CFP has to tell the host cities, Atlanta and Miami, if they're doing this thing in 2024 and 2025, you've got two cities who have blocked off convention centers, hotels, and all of that, and they've bent over backwards to accommodate the possibility this might happen. Well, time is running out, and the CFP has imposed today as a deadline to say, look, Rose Bowl, are you coming with us or not? Because if you're not, we might move on without you in 2026. But I will reiterate the fact that both parties want this to work out. All right.
3: Just so many logistics, Heather. Thank you. Uh, we'll continue to check back in with you as we have news. A championship, meanwhile, uh, championship week is here, and some big games that have some big re- repercussions. Your notables from the Power Five conferences, all of the college football playoff top four, are playing this weekend. That includes Caleb Williams and USC, which faces Utah for the Pac-12. Crown. Lukes, let's start there. What are you looking for in this game? We've already talked about the fact uh, that USC needs to win.
5: Yeah, USC definitely needs to win, and it's not going to be easy, obviously difficult, to beat a team twice, particularly a team as physical and as gifted and as good of an overall team as Utah is. I think this comes down to a couple of things. How healthy is Cam Rising? And is Tavian Thomas the workhorse they will need him to be in the run game to wear down SC defensively and limit USC's offensive possessions. You have got to keep Caleb Williams and that SC offense on the sidelines as often as possible. Now, Utah's not a team that is an overly self-inflicted football team. They play clean football. They're not going to beat themselves, and they certainly cannot afford to do that versus SC, who arguably right now has the hottest offense in all of college football.
2: Yeah, I think the big question is what does the upside look like for Utah on the ground? They didn't run the ball particularly well against USC in the first matchup, and we're still able to win the game with a two-point conversion. And without Tavion Thomas, the big question is how much can they improve in the run game from what they were then? He got hurt in that Oregon game. They were not particularly good running the ball there. They rushed the ball well against Colorado, but you can almost put that one to the side because... Just about everybody rushed the ball well against Colorado. So what does it look like against a USC defense that has improved drastically? And what happens to USC if they don't win the turnover margin? They have at least been neutral in every single game. At some point, it has to end, right? So what if it happens in the Pac-12 championship game? That's sort of the recipe for Utah
3: (laughs) USC looking to make history this weekend. Fellas, they haven't won eight games since 2008 and only six times in 100 years of college football. So, they're due. Listen, you got to talk about TCU, also such an important weekend. Uh, They beat Kansas State by 10 the first time around. We just talked about the difficulties of beating a team twice. That's what they'll have to do if they are to win out and win a Big 12 championship. And let's not forget, uh, same with USC, the Horned Frogs fighting – for a playoff berth you know I don't know what it is Luke. I I referenced it earlier I feel like nobody wants to give TCU credit even now what has impressed you about this TCU team
5: Uh, their resiliency and the fact that they never look at the scoreboard it doesn't matter how the game is being played you just saw that graphic right there the first time they beat Kansas State 38 28 they're down 28 to 10 no big deal We've seen them do that a bunch of times. We've seen them beat Oklahoma State in in, in double overtime. We've we've seen them come up with ways to just weather the storm, just keep playing, don't focus on what happened on the last play, focus on what happened on the first play, and they've had exceptional quarterback play. I mean, let's call it what it is. Max Duggan has really exceeded expectations after starting the season as a backup, and defensively, I think that's the most impressive component of this team. They can lock you down in the defensive back end. They can limit explosive plays and really force you to earn it on offense, which is what K-State will have to do this weekend.
3: Listen, TCU, the very definition of calm, cool, and collected. They take their cues from their head coach. Roddy, if Kansas State is to pull off the upset, and it's certainly possible, who would they need to rely on?
2: Well, they got to rely on the running back. And as, uh, as a running b- former running back and uh, someone who stands a short king, because I was often looked at as one of the smaller guys on the football field, it's Deuce Vaughn, who is the short king we will follow and Kansas State will follow to the promised land. He was fantastic in that game a week ago against Kansas, over 200 uh, yards uh, overall. He's got to do it in every single way, on the ground, through the air. Uh, he is one of the most, if not the most, dynamic player in the Big 12, and maybe even in the country. And when you look at his explosiveness, he's going to have to create some of those explosive plays. And on the defense side of football, they got to stop the run and prevent TCU from having explosive plays themselves.
3: Listen, if you miss this game the first time around, don't miss it twice. Just a tremendous matchup with so much at stake over the weekend. Time now to check in on our Capital One fan vote. We've asked which team is the best chance or has the best chance to pull off an upset. And right now, you say Utah over TCU. Don't forget, you can cast your vote on Twitter, uh, Twitter, at ESPN College Football, and just a few days left to do that. Uh, some programming notes our ABC College Football Conference Championship Saturday triple header. Kansas State, TCU, that's the Dr. Pepper Big 12 Championship game at noon Eastern. Then 22 UCF and number 18 Tulane. Wow, what a bounce back year for those guys, square off in the AAC title. And finally, number nine Clemson facing 23 ranked North Carolina Tar Hills in the Subway. ACC championship game a great Saturday of football on ABC and the ESPN app. If hostile territory and unwelcoming crowds are your thing stick around. Coming up we look at what it's like to play on the road and what it feels like to get out of Dodge with a win.
7: Welcome back to College Football Live. Jay Walker, Tiffany Green here with you. Yo, the vet is going to be popping in the sip this weekend for the SWAC championship game between Jackson State and Southern. This is a rematch, Jay, from just a month ago when Coach Prime's squad blanked the Jaguars 35 to nothing. What to expect this time around?
4: Well, if you're Southern University, you have to have a much better performance, particularly from your quarterback, B. Sean McCray. This offense is geared around McCray. When he struggles, this offense struggles. That's why they were shut out in their previous matchup. When he's playing at a high level, he can distribute the football, he can run the football, he's great with decisions, but it looked like he got frustrated against a very aggressive defense. Now, the good thing for Southern is their defense is really good. Their defensive line can play. They've got some dudes that can actually get after the quarterback and try to make Shadour Sanders uncomfortable. But Jackson State brings in Shadour Sanders. And we you talk about Shredor Sanders, he loves throwing the ball all over the football field. You combine that with one of the stingiest defenses in all of FCS football, and it looks like it's going to be a tough day at the office for Southern University trying to get some get back against Jackson State.
7: Well, the Tigers trying to win in back-to-back years the SWAC championship for a berth in the Cricket Celebration Bowl. I'll tell you, the team who's already waiting for them on the other side North Carolina Central, they are the MEAC champions' first conference crown in six years. Third-year head coach Trey Oliver helping to lead his alma mater to another MEAC title, fourth in program history out of the MEAC. And Coach Oliver joining us now. First off, congratulations to you. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Thank you for having me. All right, so you have the opportunity now to wait and watch between both Jackson State and Southern. You will play the winner of that one in December 17th celebration bowl. So what has made this North Carolina central team so dangerous this year? Well, I think, you know, we've played complimentary football uh, in all three phases. Um, and I thought we've done a pretty good job of, of protecting the football offensively. Uh, we have some playmakers on offense and, and uh, when guys numbers are called, they, they've been making plays. And then on defensively, uh, we haven't been getting up a lot of ones. So. Kind of trying to keep the ball in front of this and, and make guys work for it.
4: Trey, we know that you know making it to the cricket celebration bowl is a big deal. You all went there once before and they came one point short prior to you being there. What are you going to tell your team to expect when you get down to Atlanta? And how do you all walk away with the victory, whoever you may face?
7: Well, you know it's it's going to be a great a great venue, um, huge crowd, and we just have to again, it's just another game, uh, type mentality, uh, but. Uh, we have to we have to limit the distractions. Uh stay locked in, stay focused, and uh we're gonna need to play our best our best ball of the year. Leading the Eagles to a nine and two record this season, the Eagles soaring high out of dorm. Coach Oliver, good luck to you, and we look forward to seeing you next month in Atlanta for the cricket celebration bowl. Wendy, back to hey, you. Thank you, guys. Guys, thank you as we take a look at today's
3: road test presented by Goodyear and the Wolverines. Aced their road test last weekend. No kidding, defeating the Buckeyes 45 to 23. It is hard enough to win a game in college football, much less do it in hostile territory. But when you do, the thrill of victory that much sweeter.
5: In the NFL, Clemson, wins. This one's going to save the Tigers in Aggieland.
9: In Clemson, South Carolina, just a few feet from the indoor facility. Each of these headstones highlights a very specific moment in program history.
0: What a scene here in College
5: Station.
9: The elusive and often electrifying road win.
0: Everybody's pulling against you, it's hostile. All you got is each other on the sideline. Go in they trap, take they trap.
4: And the Kentucky Wildcats come into Gainesville and knock off the Florida Gators. 26 to 21, Marshall wins it at Notre Dame.
9: Road wins are special because you beat your opponent, you beat the opposing crowd. It's a really satisfying thing to know that you prepared. Kind
2: of like medieval times when you go to like stick the flag in the middle of the
9: camp. The road is supposed to be rough, hostile, unwelcome, intimidating, impossible. Sure, tell that to these guys. In 1984, Doug Flutie and Boston College strolled into the Orange Bowl and stunned Miami, the defending national champs.
0: Caught by Boston College! I don't believe it! It's a touchdown! The Eagles win it! In
9: 2012, Johnny Manziel rattled off wins at Ole Miss and Auburn and Mississippi State before leading the Aggies to victory in this environment.
4: Manziel, he fumbled the ball, he got it back, now he's throwing himself wide open,
9: touchdown, touchdown!
0: It was really deafening there, and the thing I do know is when we ran off the field at the end of the game, it wasn't near as loud.
9: Road dubs get remembered for the momentum they spark and the legacies they create. And in the case of unranked and underestimated Appalachian State in 2007, a big win at the Big House propelled the program to infamy.
6: Appalachian State
9: has
3: stunned the college football world.
9: Then, 15 years later, the encore. For the first time
5: since 2007, state has knocked off a top 10 football
6: team
4: once you step on that field it's just football
9: but maybe the best thing about getting a w on the road deflating an entire stadium full of fervent fans
0: i think the silence is the best when the crowd goes quiet that's the coolest feeling in the world
3: It's amazing how one win can have such an impact on the college football playoff. Here are a few notable road wins. Most recently that dominant Michigan win over Ohio State and then South Carolina taking out Clemson 31-30. to And we can't forget Alabama's win against Texas Tech back in September either. Still to come with championship week upon us and the playoff almost determined. We've got the finalists for some of college football's biggest awards of the year. We'll tell you who's up for what and the favorites to walk away a winner.
5: Number one is laugh. You should laugh every day. Number two is think. You should spend some time in thought. And number three is you should have your emotions moved
1: to tears. Could be happiness or joy. But think about it. If you laugh, you think, and you cry, that's a full day. That's a heck of a day.
3: It's V Week at ESPN when we partner with the V Foundation to highlight the urgent need for cancer research. This is game-changing research that saves lives. You can join the fight against cancer by visiting v.org slash donate. 100% of your donation goes directly to cancer research. 22 awards to give out next week for college football, and here are the finalists for four of them. C.J. Stroud and Caleb Williams looking to win the Davey O'Brien National Quarterback Award given to the best quarterback. You can see all of the award winners live on ESPN next Thursday, December 8th at 7 Eastern. Speaking of finalists, we are down to 3 for the Maxwell Award, the player, the best player in college football. You can make the case for CJ Stroud. The 11 and 1 Buckeyes have made their money in the air this season behind 30 touchdowns from the third-year quarterback. Caleb Williams may have something to say about that. He's the second quarterback in Pac-12 history with 30 passing and 10 rushing touchdowns in a season. Right up there with Marcus Mariota in 2014, who did end up winning the Heisman. And we finish up with Hendon Hooker, who anchored the top offense in the nation before his season ended with that ACL tear. Hooker finished just shy of Peyton Manning's single season yards record from 1997. Of course, the injury cutting his season short. Roddy who you got for the Maxwell Awards?
2: Give me Caleb Williams because without that offense or without Caleb Williams, I'm not sure what that offense is. The plays that he makes with his legs and with his arm have been absolutely fantastic. And I know they are talented, but again, he just makes things go for them. He's taking care of the football. He's one of the biggest reasons that they lead the nation in turnover margin.
5: So I like Caleb Williams for the Maxwell Awards. Absolutely, Roddy. The guy's wearing a cape every single week he takes the field. I mean, give me a break. This guy's—he's uh, an absolute difference maker. I think he does things that you just absolutely cannot coach. And without him, there's no telling where SC would be.
3: I like it better when you two disagree. I don't know what to do with all this camaraderie <laughs> and that was chemistry. Easy one.
2: On, bring uh, listen, it in Luke. I'm gonna, gonna hug well, it out on this was, one. Except
3: this, Luke. Okay, except for one thing. I mean, obviously, the Hinton Hooker injury changes things, no? Is it a different conversation? We don't know, I guess. But if he plays this season out healthy?
5: Potentially, but I think the one thing that that, that separates Caleb is all of the pulling a rabbit out of the hat type of plays. Plays that should have been 12-yard losses. Plays that could have been a turnover. A play that would have been negative otherwise. And that just doesn't – he avoids it at all costs. And I don't know if I've seen a quarterback at the collegiate level be able to throw the football literally from his thigh or throw it from above his head <laughs> or throw it from his waist the way he can. It's, it's magical to watch him perform. It
2: really is. It's a, it's a lot like Bryce Young a year ago. That offensive line for Alabama was not stellar yep. for most of the season. And he just continued to make plays, making people miss in the backfield, using his his short area quickness and the ability to throw off platform. Those two guys are absolutely special. And Caleb Williams has been the most electric player. He's must see TV every time he steps on the field.
3: All right, yeah. I, I can live with this. Now, I, you know, I hear a little bit more. I, I, I <laughs> guess, I guess we'll wait we we'll okay on that one. Uh, <laughs> it, anyway, you look at it, you can see all of these finalists and who walks away with the hardware. The Home Depot College Football Awards Thursday, December 8th at 7 o'clock Eastern. Reese Davis will host the two-hour special. He'll be joined by our analysts Greg McElroy and Sam Ocho, reporters Jen Lotta and Christine Williamson. There is more than one way to build a team these days. It likely includes at least a cursory glance at the transfer portal. The who's who of transfer QBs coming up. The portal window officially opens on Monday. Here's what you'll find. Hudson Card lost the Longhorns quarterback competition to Quinn Ewers, but still threw for nearly 1,000 yards and six touchdowns when Ewers got hurt. Cade McNamara meanwhile looking for a fresh start. The Nevada Navy led Michigan to last year's college football playoff, but the Wolverines opted for J.J. McCarthy this season. And Luke Altmaier enters the portal in 2023. The Ole Miss backup has made one career start. That was against Central Arkansas this year and played in three games this season. Again, December 5th. That win Window opens. It's 45 days for this first window. There'll be another one in May, Luke's. Let's play good match here. We'll start with Hudson Card.
5: Uh, I'm going to go Oklahoma State. Keep him in conference. Go up to a Stillwater, Oklahoma. You're going to you're going to lose Spencer Sanders. You got two youthful quarterbacks and coach Gundy's son and Garrett Wrangell. And a guy in Hudson Card that throughout this fall, you know, he had his moments and I think he proved his worth. That he could be a viable option for somebody,
2: Luke's. Uh, why not Texas Tech? For a lot of the same reasons we've seen what Zach Kitley was able to do at the quarterback position. I think the talent he's shown yeah. in a quarterback competition, but it could be unlocked at
5: Texas Tech.
3: All right, gentlemen, Luke's, Kate McNamara.
5: Oh, Cade McNamara, I think should go to Stanford. <laughs> if they would change their transfer rules, but they won't do it. Well, they're going to do it. They're just not doing it right now. But if they would make an exception and he's had a degree, he can apply on his own to grad school, get admitted on his own, and then play football. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go Cade McNamara to Purdue with what Jeff
2: Brom has done at the quarterback position. They're going to need Cade oh, uh, like uh, McNamara, Purdue.
3: Listen, only Luke says Stanford. Change your whole system. Change your whole rules. You're just Stanford. What, what's the big deal? So this kid can no, play football. I I Listen, don't. we'll talk for football Let tomorrow. In. See you back here on Thursday.